Hello, everybody. Today, I have Jeffrey Camus with me, and we're going to do something a little different than I normally do, but welcome, Jeffrey, to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to dig into this. What caught my attention was you have expertise in two areas that are very important to me from the gambling addiction arena, but I'm not an expert on. And I think there's value maybe in both, but I think there's also danger. So I appreciate the fact that you're willing to have this conversation with me regarding the stock market and um, the online betting. Mm-hmm. You said you started a software company about. I have started a software company when I was in, when I was um, 22. I well, we started a couple of different businesses that were technology, and uh, I have a programming background. Uh, and so when I was 22, I started a, one of the very first fantasy sports companies online. It was called Dr. Stats Fantasy Sports. And, you know, my key, the key thing I wanted at that time is I wanted to be able to have a business I could work from home and be there to raise my kids. So, you know, I have two boys are now 23 and 21. That was a great business. I had it for about 17, 18 years. And I love uh, football and baseball. I was a baseball player when I was younger and then I got injured and I wanted to still stay involved. And I love the analytics because I think that in baseball, if you do something enough times, it becomes a pattern. And then you could recognize those patterns is very much in alignment with the stock market. So I think it's kind of an interesting area and football, it's a little bit different, but anyway, I did love fantasy sports. And that was, you know, that was kind of like a, um, that was the beginning of it. Like this was the mid nineties. This is kind of when it started becoming online an online thing in the, in the earlier days, people would do these leagues and they would write out the stats from their newspapers and they would do them by hand, but that's all changed. But it was cool to be like a pioneer in that industry. And I really did enjoy it. And now what I'm doing now, kind of investing and being involved in the sports betting arena has kind of brought me back kind of full circle to that space in which I started. So what does that look like today? The sports betting arena for you? Well, you know, it's a, um, I have a fund that trades on NASDAQ. It's called iBet. It's a sports betting and gaming fund about which if your audience knows um, an exchange traded fund is essentially a basket of stocks that will represent the return of a sector. So in investing, you know, um, it gives you, you know, you become diversified in an ETF rather than being having exposure to one stock, which may not make it. You have 40 stocks, which create this diversified group that will represent the entire kind of gain of that sector. And so it's a good way to um, take your risk off the table and still get the gains of something that you're maybe interested in, which is sports betting and gaming, which is growing uh, greatly in the last, you know, we have 30 some states legalized now in the U.S. in all different variations, whether it's online or in, you know, in person. And uh, we have a California ballot initiative in November. We also have two other big states that are going to at some point be legalized, which is Florida and, and Texas. Wow. It, it's, you're right. It is growing. And I need mm-hmm. to preface this whole conversation with, I'm not against gambling, right? For gambling mm-hmm. for normal people is not a problem. Um, but the growing is what's, what's scary because people aren't educated about it. They don't know. I don't want to say they don't know the psychology, but mm-hmm. what I'm curious about as a programmer, I love that you're into data and analytics. Like that mm-hmm. stuff lights me up to make decisions based on data is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're programming something like this, are you thinking strictly about the end result and the user? Um, like I, 
I don't know if you've seen it, but there's like that show about how Facebook literally is trying to get the dopamine hits from the likes and they show you that stuff. Does all (laughs) that go in the algorithm to sports betting? Well, you know, what, what it is for me is I, I don't think about it in terms of that. What I think about is the end user experience, but not in terms of making somebody get the dopamine hit. You know, I'm thinking what I was doing is information. You know, when I had that fantasy sports company that I ran, what we were trying to do is we were trying to give people a really efficient way to maybe track their players and get data and get these customized matchups. And that's what we were doing. It was really what I think that somebody like a, um, when you think about the genius of, you know, of Apple and jobs, when he thinks about, when you think about something, you think about the user experience and then you build it from there. You know, you go back and you pull it out and you're like, this is what, how I want the customer to feel. And then you build it all back based on that feeling. You know, how does it work with me? How does it work with the customer? And that's the experience you want to have. So you really don't think about if you're building it in the box first, you're usually not going to have a product that achieves kind of success or something that people are going to enjoy or like. You have to really think about your consumer first and then and then build it backwards from there. And you were, it related very well if you were interested in the sport. So it sounds like a natural. Right, because I was thinking, what would I want? You know, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really function for yourself first, right? You look at, you think about the way you'd want something like the people who built like the first automobiles or when, you know, when with Tesla, how that evolved as an electric car, people were thinking, well, what kind of electric car would I want? You know, what would I want it to do? And I think those are the real entrepreneurs, right? It's like the, you know, have a better idea, you know, build a better mousetrap. And it's like, this is not working the way I want. So let's use it. Let's do it this way. And then you kind of tweak it. And that's, you know, sometimes, right, the greatest inventions are taking something that's been there and then just tweaking it a little bit. And so, you know, the ability to, like, think about this is really simple. We have millions of sites that do this now. But back 25 years ago, to have a dashboard, which means that you could pull all your things up in one spot, you know, that's, that's obvious now. Now we have it. But somebody had to do it first. You know, I'm pretty sure because there were only so many sites on the internet. I think we were the first to have customized like matchups and data because we, I was lucky. I had this whole team of young people that I knew that were programmers that were able to like hack together these kind of, um, you know, databases, which are actually individual files. You know, if you looked at a database and you could see it, what it looks like, it's just like a, a bunch of notepad files put together in this whole thing that's joined together. But, you know, in those days, that's what they were. They were flat file databases that were kind of all joined and were pulled page by page. That was the very first type of internet database. And so when you look at something like that, it's like, wow, that was where we started. But now here we're doing all these new things so fast. It's, it's kind of amazing, kind of a cool time. This was my Wild West experience being in technology to see the evolution of, of where it's gone from, from there to now. Well, when you first said it was 15 or 16 years ago, that blew my mind. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, A, I'm getting old, but B, I didn't realize that the technology supporting those things. Like I just learned DraftKings, you know, like the name DraftKings in the last two years. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I wasn't immersed in what I'm immersed in, I probably wouldn't have paid any attention. Well, for Uh, DraftKings, though, you'd have to not have a TV because they are the most ubiquitous advertiser that is available in and anything like if you don't watch sports you if you watch any kind of sports my brother who thinks you know uh, uh sports is the ballet knows who DraftKings is <laughs> so you know he's like who's this DraftKings this was a couple of years ago and he's like this DraftKings is everywhere because they really have been a um you know they've been a uh, an everywhere kind of advertiser so but yeah they're they're kind of you know 
ubiquitous and in, in any kind of sport now you see them all the time. Yeah, they even they're even in the world of um affiliate marketing like they're looking for other people to even promote them. So they must be uh, well, Those are huge businesses now. You know, the affiliate marketers even in the sports betting area they're, they're still very new. I mean, some of the the top affiliate marketers I think marketers focus on fashion usually and weight loss and things like that that are really kind of niche. You know, I've looked at I've never done it, but people ask me about it uh, in terms of like what would you promote? But the top ones are really doing, you know, those kind of products. They're doing like the one-off products, like you can lose 25 pounds on this yeah. or, or whatever, you know, here's this crazy tea we have. And, you know, they do quite well. I mean, I think a lot, there's a lot of nonsense out there because a lot of people don't do well. And then they just try to sell you a class, but, you know, but a lot of people do well. And in sports gambling, the sports betting market, um, there are a lot of affiliated sites. Um, there's a company called gambling.com that essentially is just a large um, site of like 50 different sites that they own that all work with the individual companies and try to bring them leads um, to their to their products. So is that the same premise as what you were trying to explain with the stock market with iBet? Well, no. So iBet is, iBet, so in the industry, there's something like, I, 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 this is not even going to be a close number, but there's something like 70 publicly traded, 70 to 100 publicly traded companies in sports betting and gaming. There might even be more. I mean, there's, there's like one or two new ones every, every week. In the old days, we used to remember, not every week because we're not having IPOs now, but there were for a period of time. But in the old days, we would remember some of the names. You would know like Caesars, right? Mm -hmm. Or MGM, some of the really, or Las Vegas Sands, some of the older companies that have been around. But now we have all these new companies, you know, newer, like within the last five years, like DraftKings and Penn National Gaming and a lot of these kind of companies that have come out at Flutter, which is a European company, which is owns FanDuel, which you maybe have heard of as well. Yeah. That's another fantasy sports, but gambling uh, site as well. But they're all kind of coming to the marketplace now, because again, what's prompted this is the legalization in the United States, which is only, only a few years old. And we're getting this massive widespread legalization, you know, something like, I think we're at, like I said, something like 32 states now have some form of legalized gambling now on sports betting, at least. There has to be something in it for them. I, politics is the other area I don't know much about, but I'm guessing that. Can you? Well, it's very competitive for state by state taxes, right? So once your neighbor has it, it's just like keeping up with the Joneses for them because they're, you know, what New York didn't want to see anymore was New York and New York legalized in last year. What New York didn't want to see anymore was people going across the bridge to, to, to actually place their bets in New Jersey and then drive on the other side of the bridge and then be back in New York. And that's what was going on. So they were losing the tax revenue. And so, you know, you, New York set all-time records. They did a billion dollars worth of handles in the first month that was legalized there. Yeah. And I so, I you know, when you think about these large economies like California, and I'm not, California is very, that may not get passed because again, if, talk about political. You have this huge amount of money from the Indian reservations that have been here for a long time, making a lot of money that want to protect this. So they've spent, and this number will make most people kind of sick when you, when you hear it. But so far, this was the last month, they've already spent on this ballot initiative $500 million to, get to it legalize it. There's either, there's 26 and 27. 26 has more, uh, will legalize certain things for the Indian reservations. 27 will open it up to the um, other proprietors like DraftKings and FanDuel. And um, the Indian casinos really are just fighting mostly, if you look at the advertising that's coming out now, they're mostly just fighting 27 because they want to 
they don't think their 26 is going to pass. So they're mostly just fighting to not have 27 pass. And you could see all the ads in California, because I live in California. All the ads in California now are mostly against 27. You don't even see a lot for 26 anymore, which means to me that their polling shows that they already think 26 is going to lose, but now they just want to maintain status quo and keep 27 out, which is, which honestly, and, it go, and to get to another topic, I know this shows a, you do, you cover a lot of different addiction type topics. Um, it, the number that you're putting on the, on the tax revenue in California, and I know people are like, well, is it really going to go there? 85% of the revenue generated in California will go to mental health and wellness. So I, I do think, yeah, I know I, it's one of those things, right? Who's doing it and then who, but it's actually, I think that's a good cherry, at least if it's going to be legalized here. And that, and that's something we don't see in other places. So to have that number of, you know, people and living in California, I see, you see these people all the time from when, when we had COVID, you had people in these makeshift shanties underneath you know, viaducts and, and, and living there for a long time. I mean, the, the cities didn't know what to do with them. And because everyone's sort of afraid of Cody, you had these little cities that were popping up everywhere. And so, you know, the idea that at least something's going back to help a lot of people who, you know, maybe have nothing to do with gambling, but it's helping them because they have different issues on the streets or, or you know, can't cope with a drug addiction or something like that. Thank you for sharing that. That yeah. is Refreshing. Well, it's, made, it's a silver lining in in the package. If you know, if people don't like it, that is something that I think needs to be at least focused on. That I, and I think you know, we all know how money gets misappropriated in the government. But I could say at least you know, with the intention of this bill, though, is to give back. And I would tell you, one of the things about these companies, you can you see a lot of dings. You know, there's things about there's these companies are more regulated now. That's one of the things they they will be. And I think I think what people need to understand is as much as you know, there is a concern. The regulation is way more strict because they're, they're, they're um, looking for companies targeting gambling. They're looking for all these different things. So they're getting penalties and fines. There's a lot of penalties you'll see in the, in the news all the time for either um, targeting, you know, uh, problem gamblers or targeting certain types of minority groups. And, so they're, they're, they're being watched more because of the widespread legalization. So with anything, I think there's, you know, pros and cons. What I will tell you is that, you know, when I was at actually the biggest gambling convention this weekend, this week in Vegas, and I talked to someone who was in this, who was doing this geofencing, which essentially geofencing is the concept that um, you, um, they will put a fence up and it has a bunch of parameters to who can actually gamble. So they're being, they're trying to be very secure about, you know, no, no minor children and all these things. So there are a lot of uh, safe, safe, um, safeties that have been put in place. And I think that, that, that a lot of these, these companies are putting a lot of money into, you know, problem gambling and to get help and all these messages. And I, and I do believe, you know, they, they're, it's in, it's good natured and well-meaning. This is why I'm glad I have an open mind so that I can learn these kind of things because I, you know, being in a 12 step room or being in the environments I'm in, I really see the aftermath and, and I really want to get us to a place in the universe where we're doing prevention and education and all of that stuff on the front side. And let me uh, give you my background really quickly. Cause you brought this up. I have been to Al-Anon meetings cause I do have someone who is close to me who has, who's had an addiction problem someone who was a repeat many times in for alcohol. And um, it was very destructive and you could see it. And, you know, the, 
you know, I know I've saw those brain scans of an, of an addict. It's very, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, not interesting. It's, I mean, it is interesting, right? These are chemical issues, yes. you know, and when you see the scan of, of, a, of an alcoholic um, who stopped drinking after a year, you know that the brain, you know, it gets triggered in a way for the chemical addiction. And that's what this is. So I learned a lot when I went to those classes because, you know, I cared about this person greatly. So I wanted to know more. And uh, it was kind of revealing, you know, when you talk to other people who are going through that, it's revealing what, you know, why they do things and why it takes a certain amount of time and, and the conviction. But, you know, once you get to those year, you know, a year plus and your body's off it, it's like anything when you diet and you get healthy and you, and you get sugar out or you, you have less sugar or something like that. You have, you have a greater ability. I think, you know, the, the really challenging part is like the first month to the first three months, you know, but you need to let your brain really heal, which is, which is a big part of it. And I don't know how many people realize that when they look at it from the outside. It's a great point. And there's also, because people don't necessarily understand or not all people may or may not understand that it's science and it's, you know, physiology and all those things. So all the emotions of shame and guilt and all this other stuff tends to weigh them down, which perpetuates the cycle of going back instead of giving themselves grace if they understood the science. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to bounce a little because it's fine. when we were talking about the money, can you help me understand the breakdown? Like I picture the online, like the draft game being the bookie if mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this right. So like if I bet a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. a percentage goes to them. Is that generally, yeah, you, it's a 10% kind of standard is what it is, you know? So it's where, you know, if you use a bookie that you call, right. The guy in the dark room in the back with the, you know, with the, the visor on, you know, <laughs> and the cigarette out of his mouth, you know, keeping like with a big notepad, it looks like a notebook that you take to, to class you know, it's, it's always the same. It's the vigorous or whatever they call it, which is essentially the interest. And that's really what the bookie makes. If you think about what a book person does, a book bookie, the, an ideal situation for a bookie is to have $1,000 bet on one side. And I'm just giving you a number and $1,000 bet on the other side, thereby the bookie just create, gets the interest. That's it. And that's what they want. So the 10% is the payment to the bookie. So if he has 10% of 1000, then he makes a hundred, right. Or whatever, you know, so yeah. that's the whole job. Now, if, as you build up, that becomes a, a better number, but the ideal, ideal situation for a bookie is to take equal money on both sides and take the interest. Okay. That's how, that's how a bookie makes money essentially. So where does it feed into the tax revenue? That's the part that's, well, that's, that's that. illegal, right? <laughs> that's I'm, we're, I was talking about like an illegal bookie, but okay. In terms of these, what happens is you know, they have revenue, these companies generate revenue, and the, the states all have different tax rates. So, you know, you look at somewhere like uh, New Hampshire, wow, in New York, they have massive tax rates. It's almost like, they're like, they're like, this is such a, um, you know, they call them like the, what's the word, sin tax, right? You know, you want to do some sin, you know, either it's an alcohol or something like that, yeah. you know, and, or smoking or this you're going to pay heavily. So they're in New York, the tax is like 50%. It's outrageous. New York and New Hampshire are very tough models to make money in for these companies because that tax rate is so high. So tax revenue on 50% of your, your net revenue, that's a, that's a heavy penalty. But New York has done very well making a lot of money in the last year off this. And so um, I think they're pleased, to be honest. 
So, you know, they're going to be more responsible too with that money. And some of that has to go, of course, to wellness and taking care of those people and education programs on addiction and the such, but, but that's, what's going on. So that all, all the States, are, it's up to each state to tax the re- tax, the revenue as they see fit. You know, they're all rates are all over the board from 20 to 30 to 50 is, which is crazy. And that's in New Hampshire and New York. You know, those are absolutely really high rates. I do believe at some point those rates will probably come down because I think we're going to get one of the things that's going to happen in the space is we're going to get larger players. We already see that, you know, Disney, which owns ESPN, is kind of moving into gambling. And we see these large media companies um, like Fox, they're going to be in gambling. We saw a deal with Amazon with DraftKings that they announced for Thursday Night Football. So Amazon will, will have some form of it, whether it's just advertising and it might be some kind of Amazon sports book. That is not out of the realm of possibilities. We're going to also see there's a big thing available. I'm not sure how much of a football fan you are, but there's a big thing. <laughs> I like the Chiefs because I it's live every, in Kansas It's every City kind of addiction girl. in football. You got addicted to football. You got alcohol there and you have gambling and whatever else, right? And then people who are just addicted to violence, you know? Mm. So you have every kind of crazy at a football game which is kind of why it's kind of fun. It's actually the mix. It's kind of a, a really great melting pot of, of, of society if, to me, you know, because you, it's where do you see, like, where do you have a guy who maybe, and, and it's gotten more expensive, but you have like a guy who's maybe a truck driver sitting next to a guy who's a corporate lawyer sitting next to a kid sitting next to a mom, who, you know, you have this great mix of people at these games. And I think it's a good melting pot, but what I was getting at is, uh, and if it, there's a big thing that's coming available that's on the market, it's called NFL Sunday Ticket. It used to be owned by DirecTV, which was bought by AT&T. Um, that's coming up for relicensing um, this year, in fact. And the big players, of course, could write can write huge checks of three to five billion. And those players, there's only three companies that can really write a check like that, and that's Amazon, Google, and Apple. And so those companies are all in the offing for. Or this package, which is a huge thing. I've had it since I, in, since 1994, since I had DirecTV, because I like to watch the NFL games on Sunday. And um, whoever gets that probably will have some type of relationship with a gambling company, if not gambling uh, right on their screen or some form of it in a sports book that's maybe branded by another company like a DraftKings or a FanDuel. Scary. Does that give you a headache? Uh, kind of like, I actually was going to ask you to repeat things. I'm like, I need to just re-listen to this. Um, <laughs> but Disney and gambling in the same sentence just right. hurts my heart. Like it mm-hmm. just hurts my heart. Um, well, you know, they own, you know, because they own, you know, they own ESPN. ESPN has been really far behind. They've been, they've wanted to expand into it. They're being very careful. They're probably going to have a partner more than likely. We're going to see a partner you know, we had heard rumors about DraftKings, but I think DraftKings has a conflict to do that because they're already working with Amazon. I think because they're such huge media companies, the both of them, I think that's a conflict. I doubt it would be DraftKings. And I said that when people announced it, um, but we'll see. But yeah, they are going to move into the space. I think um, they realize that it's mainstream. And I think that they need to, they feel like they have to be involved in it, you know, because of that property, the ESPN property. Wow. Okay. I'll be doing some research after this. Um yeah, my my head is is spinning a little <laughs> right now. Um, because again, through my little lens, I hear the 
I can't even enjoy sports anymore because all they're talking about is the line. Like I just had to ask what the line was a couple of weeks ago because people were talking about it. <laughs> um, and no, I don't watch much sports on TV. I don't watch much TV at all. Um, I, I'm too busy spending my nights getting a podcast with cool guests that educate me on things. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I hear from people? So when I started my fantasy sports company, what it was, I always thought it was a nice way for people who didn't necessarily want to gamble, but they wanted to have that extra enjoyment from the game. And that's really what this is. And I think that, you know, there's a, this concept of people, you know, spending all their money and not paying for their rent or paying their bills they should be paying. But, you know, when you really talk to people and I talk to people, I have a marketing background. So I always talk to people because the best feedback you get is live yes, and in person. And so I ask people and I ask them, you know, and you hear guys, they'll be talking about, hey, what do you bet on the game? And, you know, once in a while, you hear like a crazy wager, like, oh, I bet like 15000 or something. Most of the time, guys are talking about making $10, $15, $20 You know, it, that is the majority of, of gambling. You do have big whales. They're always there. You know, guys who are going to bet, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars on, on games. Um, but a lot of the betting, you know, I could tell you my son, I have two boys that are 23 and 21. And they, they're in actually a state where it's legal. So they have the apps. They're in Arizona and it's legal there. What do my kids bet? Well, they don't make a lot of money yet. So they bet like five and $10 on a game because it makes it more enjoyable. I don't think they have any problem with it. I don't, you know, they don't ask me for money to bet on it, you know, and I think they just find it more enjoyable when they have a little wager. And I think that's the majority of the people. Of course, anybody who has that kind of addictive personality, it's a different thing. And I totally understand that. Yeah. I've seen the camaraderie. Like when you asked me about, you know, football. So in the nineties, I had a crush on Troy Aikman. So Dallas was my team, but then <laughs> living in Kansas city, that example that you were talking about the, the different people, I saw a camaraderie. I did go to games in person and I got to go to Royals games and you could be wearing the other team's shirt and people in Kansas city were like, you want a dog, you want a blender, you know, like you want uh -huh, those people are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what got me you know, and, and watching the community, like the whole state just move together towards something. It was, it was beautiful. So I'll be, well, the, that's the melting pot, right? There's the commonality people, all these people all enjoy football and that's why they're there. Now it's better if you're the fan of my team, but if you're not, you, you can respectively be in the stadium. Maybe not when it used to be in Oakland, when they used to have fights all the time, or some of these cities where, where there's some, some of that going on, but but in general, you know, people have a commonality and that's a cool thing about people who probably would never talk to each other in any walk of life otherwise can have that commonality because that's how, you know, that's the real Facebook is going out to a football game. That's the real Instagram. That's the real community. That's what we used to have right before this. And so, uh, you know, that's a good way for people to get back and, and enjoy something they like because that's what this, this online communities do, right? They bring together people who may have um, similar likes and kind of pair them in some, in some kind of way. And I think, you know, a football game is a great way to do that. Thank you for all this information. I actually, I want to go back to stocks for a minute. Okay. I know I'm all over the board, but mm -hmm. you really have my head spinning in a That's good fine. way. Okay. So because I'm going to share this with, with the gambling addiction audience, the self-care, all of that, there's going to be gamblers out there 
that maybe have the same belief I do that the stock market can be dangerous. And as once we're in recovery, we shouldn't be playing around like with the day trading and all of all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. However, there's still a, a strong culture that people should invest in the stock market. Mm-hmm. So if, a, if someone was that person who needed to and wanted to invest in the stock market, but not for the the roller coaster ride of day trading or however all of that works. Um, if I understood you right, this is something people, you have a role that kind of helps people. Well, yeah, I have that. a, I mean, I have a company called Inherent Wealth Fund where I manage individual wealth as well as my fund. So I have individual clients as well. You know, I have over 130 clients that I manage that also are like retirees that, you know, teachers, my mom, you know, Uh, family and friends, you know, I have a little what you would call like a home office where you manage the people that you care about and you treat them like your family. And so, yeah, you know, that there are people who maybe shouldn't. And I always say, you know, to people, this is about an investment. So it's not about trading. Don't be a trader, be an investor, which means you have, you know, long time horizon. So one of the key things to always to look at when you are thinking about investing is your horizon for investment. You know, do you need money, any of this money in the next five years? Because then that changes your whole perception. But yeah, I'm trying to answer. I want to make sure I answer your question. Did I answer your question? uh, Well, just the takeaway of being an investor, not a trader, I thought was amazing. But yes, you're you're on the right track. They should, I guess what I'm asking is, should they hire a professional or what what are their? I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, um, I think you can definitely benefit from a professional if you are, you know, if you have more complex situations, a lot of people who are just starting, you know, and you want to just start like a a Roth or something like that at like a 401k and you could do that on your own sometimes with Schwab, you know, as a young person and you could put your money in and a lot of that's tax-free when you're, when you're building it, which is great. And so if you're doing something like that, sometimes you might just want to pick a couple funds. You might want to have whatever the whole stock market is. You can get something like, the VTI, which is the Vanguard fund, which will give you kind of like the entire feel of whatever the stock market does. And that that's a way to just invest over the long term, you know, and then there's people who might be interested in individual companies and maybe you like, you know, invest in what you like. That would be like the Buffett model. You know, if you, if you drink Coca-Cola, why not buy Coke? You know, it may not be the most exciting stock, but you know, that people use it. We've used it for hundreds, a hundred years. You know, if you like companies like that, you know, if you, if you're, if you have in your house, 10 products from Apple, that's the number one stock in almost every portfolio in the United States, because everybody has an Apple product for the most part. So if you have Apple products and you believe in Apple and you believe Apple is going to be here in 10 years, which we probably know it will be, then you should invest in Apple. If you like Microsoft, it's the same. I think investing in what you know, which are the things that you see or you use is a really simple way to do it and be an investor, you know, hold it for a certain period of time knowing you don't need to use that money in that time period and you'll be okay. Yeah. I still can't wrap my head around why I I worked for private companies like grocery stores and and Mm -hmm. we had stock and, and again, they send you those letters to give you the information and I didn't understand any of it. And I would read them over and over again. Um, But I still couldn't figure out why companies would go to the stock market with, instead of keeping things in the family. So even that to wrap my head around is a struggle at times. Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's actually very simple. Sometimes it's that they want to essentially, they need the money to grow, right? So these companies go because they want to generate 
more revenue to build their businesses. I mean, that's ideal. You go to the public markets to grow your business. You know, that's kind of the concept. And it is an investable. Like when Uber went public, they're trying to grow their business. So they have a bunch of new shares out there to raise money to run their company. And that's essentially, you know, the concept of it. You know, you go to public markets to build your business. You have to build it to a certain level and then you open it up. You know, keeping things private though, you know, um, I've had a number of privately held companies. I've had some companies where we've had, it's been privately held, but we've had outside shareholders too. That's not always a great situation for a shareholder, but because if you're not holding the majority, you know, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the, of the main shareholder. But um, in, in publicly traded companies, the shareholder has rights. And so, you know, that's a good way to do it. I, 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 public versus private, it just depends what you're, what you're trying to do with your company. Some people don't want to have huge companies. Some people don't want to have the scrutiny of the public markets or the pressure. Because then it's pressure. You have to make your numbers. You have to keep growing. You have to have earnings reports, you know. And so it's they're all different kinds of uh, positives and negatives to those things. I, I guess I digressed a minute, but you explain things in in nice attainable chunks. So that's being very helpful to me. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so you have all this expertise and and money and gambling both. You can see both sides of it. Is there anything that stands out to you that you might say to a gambler who is, like I said, in recovery or knows they shouldn't be betting, um, how to protect their wealth, how to grow their wealth. Like I, I heard you say the 401k for younger people. Is there anything they should avoid or any strategies that they might use? Because there's this whole twisted relationship with money. You know, it, gambling really isn't about the money any more than, you know, like it, it would be right. like seeing a sugar addiction is about money. It's not about that. It's just the device to get us there. Um, but it mm-hmm. also could be a trigger. So any a lot of the gamblers that I know that it seems like they like the loss better than the win. You know, most people, most gamblers can tell you there are 10 worst losses. They're not going to tell you any of their wins. They don't remember those, you know, they remember the losses. And so there's something about that feeling too, that brings you somewhere. I think what I would say for betting is I have a really, a really simple strategy. If you're a $10 better, then you're a $10 better and you should bet $10. The fact that you lost five games on Sunday doesn't mean because you might have to meet the bookie and pay them on Monday that you should bet all those games on one game because that's where people get in trouble. So one of the things I think is, is key if you are going to, if you do want to take part in this is just know who you are and don't chase. You know, we have this thing that we always do as people, we chase, we, we want to make it all up right away and we get involved. People do it in the stock market too. You know, I've you've lost a bunch of money. You double up, you use leverage, you know, you try to get it all back really fast. Generally what that does is it puts you deeper in the hole because you put too much pressure on that one thing rather than just taking it naturally. So if you have, a, you know, bet with a budget, bet way below your, your means and bet, bet way below what you can afford, I mean, I've, I've bet on sports for my whole life. I don't think I've ever bet anywhere close to what I could bet, you know, cause I'm doing it for enjoyment. I like, I like it. You know, I will, I will, I don't wager on really many sports, maybe a couple of big games, but I do wager on football, on pro football, but I don't wager on, on like every game. I usually try to pick three or four and, you know, they're really smart. You know, I did it. I do a, a show on, called the weekly wager where we talk about games that we like. And, you know, I had a guest who was on with me last year and a little bit of this year. 
And his name, you know, his moniker is Uncle B. Now, Uncle B was good friends with Lefty Rosenthal, who's the famed character in the casino movies, who's played by De Niro. And, you know, he did not, Lefty Rosenthal did not bet on every game. He did not bet on many games. He was looking for certain abnormalities or opportunities to, to take advantage of, a, of a, a position that he saw that was unique to him. And I think that most people who, you know, actually do well, they're looking for certain, you know, opportunities. They're not just gambling because they want to gamble. And, I, and I'm sure that's the difference between somebody who actually has a problem and just needs the high of being, having done it rather than maybe trying to win or, you know, or to uh, maybe just have enjoyment out of it. That's an interesting perspective. It doesn't explain how like betting on the flip of a coin or how many yards or all of that stuff. Um, that's for the people who just want to bet to bet, I'm guessing. Well, the flip of the coin is, is to me, it's, I don't know why you'd bet that. And it used to be a famous bet. They used to bet on the flip of the coin of a Super Bowl. There are these teaser, these, these new kind of, um, uh, I can't think of the exact word, what they call these, but they have all these different types of bets now. And they're de- different things. You know, yardage, those are things actually where you can take a skill level and bet on those, to be honest. Things like yardage. When I was doing analytics in, in sports, there are, there are probabilities and things come in ranges. Now, is it going to land in that range? It probably will. Now, are you going to get it right? Are you going to beat them? Do you think that your computer is better than theirs? I doubt it because I'll tell you, Right now, there's things like live odds, which um, means you have in-game betting, which means as the game changes, you're pro- you, you, can met, you can bet on more things, right? So you, in the old days, we, you'd bet on the start of the game. Maybe you'd bet a halftime line. You know? um, now you can bet literally throughout the whole entire game as it changes. And that's called like live, live betting. But what I would tell you is that if you really understand wagering and you understand analytics, it's in their favor during the live betting because they know your best bet to win a game is getting some kind of take on maybe how that team's going to perform from last week. But once the probabilities or how they came out and you start seeing that it becomes all in their favor as the live betting goes on, because then they have factored in everything that they expect to have happen. It's, it's, it's really kind of fascinating when you look at it, it's also very new too. So they're, they're figuring it out. You know, they don't, they don't know because they're throwing so many new things out there. It's, it's really, a lot of these are very new things. Like within the last two or three years, you know, all these types of new wagers, there, there's so many and so many different ways. It's kind of uh, mind boggling actually. It sounds that way. Well, Jeffrey, is there anything that we haven't I, I have a feeling we can go down so many roads, but is there anything else that you think might serve, serve the audience or that you want to share on these topics? Um, to well, I would just say, look, I, I, like I talked to tell this to my kids bet responsibly, you know, have some kind of budget and stick to it. It's, it's real. It's just like everything else, you know, you can enjoy it, but not people who have, it's a different thing. I like, I don't want to say that to your people who are fighting through addiction because that's a chemical thing, right? That's something that someone's seeking for a certain stimulus. And, and that's a different thing altogether, you know, and I would say just, you know, be careful, you know, no, no, be responsible. And I, I don't know what to really share other than that. I, I think it's hard to say those things. It's, you know, it's, you know, when people communicate with each other, we all com- communicate from our, our being, which is relative only to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So for me to kind of 
have my opinion and put it on you. I don't know how that even works, right? You can't really do that. Like I can't relate to someone else because I don't know how they feel, how their being feels, what, you know, what's going on. Like something that makes perfectly logical sense to me doesn't make any sense to somebody sitting next to me. Right. So it's, it's hard to like say, you know, to know what someone else is going through. You know, we all have, I have a big family and differences with like anybody else with people in your family. And I have a sister who has some different things that are, that are challenges. And, and if I communicate how I see things should go, I don't think it's a book she can read. Right. Well, I think, I think the way you just described using, when you were describing about looking for the nuances and to the way that people bet on data and numbers, I think one of the takeaways for some folks could be, well, am I betting for that or am I betting for the high? Because those are two very different things. But they're two different kinds of people. Yeah. So I think just touching about that and helping me understand means that you're helping others understand too, I'm sure, um, some of these nuts and bolts behind it. I've been very judgmental about it because I see only the aftermath. I don't see the front side. So understanding that I, I would be curious, like Amazon and Google and Disney, like if they're getting in this game, are they aware of the prevention side or the other side of it too? You know, like, I hope that there's something. Of course, you know, you realize these companies will be the last to the party. They are not going to come in first. (laughs) They're going to be the last because they want to see that it's been vetted by others, you know, who have taken those steps first because they they do realize that they have more to lose than any of these companies, right? Because there are these mega, mega companies, right? Disney included, they're being very, very, um, very, very slow footed intentionally, you know, any of the times, you know, I, it reminds me of the heyday of when fantasy sports started and people don't remember this, but you know, uh, the NFL didn't accept fantasy sports when it started either did, you know, sports illustrator, or any of these big publications, it took time for the process to happen until they actually accepted it. And it became a big part of what they do. But it was not accepted widely when I was doing it. You know, Sports Illustrated laughed at it. They never even had articles about it. And this was when Sports Illustrated was big, was bigger, you know, days where magazines were still popular, you know, and sites like NFL, they didn't have fantasy sports stuff on the NFL website at that time. So you can see how things change. And the bigger guys don't ever take the first step. They want to see that it's been successful. And then they put their foot in and they stomp all the little guys, <laughs> but, but, you know, they don't take that first step. They want to see what, what, what breaks, you know? Well, I guess that makes sense. It protects them and keeps them bigger. So that sure. makes sense to me. Well, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you joining us today and, and sharing all your knowledge, which there's a ton of. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't know, but that's fine. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's been great. And I, and I hope your audience you know, learn that if anybody is interested in what I'm doing, they can find me at Jeffrey Camus is my last name or inherent wealth fund, or I bet the fund, if you're interested in investing. And, and when you keep in mind, the, the investment vehicle has nothing to do with you actually gambling. It's just you investing. So if you're buying it and you believe in betting, then it would be something you could take a look at. I, um, but I, but I am aware of, of your, you know, having had experiences with addiction with close friends. I do, I do, understand the plight of the of people. And I'm, I'm aware, and I've tried to be, um, during COVID, I think it was a great time to really check in on who you were as a person. 
Mm. And I think um, people had a lot of time where they could really either get spiritual or meditate and kind of, and maybe th- choose a new path. And I think the number one thing I would say to people is try to be kind to others and, and you don't know where someone else has come from or what's going on in their life. So that's how I would leave it. I love it. That's a great way to end it. Be kind to each other and be kind to ourselves. Mm-hmm. For sure. If you're not my, try to 